Uh, we are in part four of our wake up series through the book of Isaiah. And this message is entitled, Wake Up to a Fresh Calling. I want to begin by telling you that I was looking through scripture about how people react to the call of God. And I began to realize there was kind of five general topics, five categories, five groupings of how people respond when God asks them to do something, especially something difficult. Now, this is just a cursory glance, and if you take notes, you may want to write some of this stuff down as the intro, and we'll dive into chapter 6 here in a moment. But I found that the first category, the first way that people tend to respond to God, and these are different types of people, but the first one that caught my attention was the word refusal. Some people just flat out refuse what God is asking them to do. Now, I'm not going to recommend that. As a matter of fact, probably the most popular guy for refusing God is a gentleman by the name of Jonah. Didn't go awesome for him. Uh, a lot of the whole thing about being swallowed by a great fish, being thrown out, almost dying, all that kind of stuff. It's, it didn't go great. And eventually, God got him to do what he asked him to do. It was just kind of a painful process. A couple other people come to mind. Ananias and Sapphira. You remember who they are? Yeah, they're dead. Uh, what about Judas Iscariot, right? Uh, Judas, uh, Jesus called all of his disciples. He said, come and follow me. And Judas said, I'll do that. And he didn't do that. He betrayed Christ and he was not all in. And ultimately it didn't go well for him either. So I've noticed that some of us refuse the call of God. It's a bad choice. The second category is reluctance. Now, reluctance is not wanting to do it and really, really wanting it to go another way, right? Whatever God called you, you just want it to go a different way. Now, probably for me, the one that comes to mind most rapidly is Moses, where God said, I want you to go back to Egypt. He said, that's a bad plan. I'm not really good at talking. I don't think I can do this. All those guys hate me. It's not a good idea. But did you know that Jeremiah was the same way? Jeremiah said, I'm too young. I'm too scared. I'm not your guy for the job. Whether it's Gideon, who was called as a warrior when he was hiding in the dark in the, in the press, the grain press, or whether it was Saul, who was called to be the king of Israel, but he was hiding in the baggage. I mean, you can see all these times that leaders were very, very reluctant. Uh, Esther, yeah? Go before the king on behalf of the Jews. Well, he'll probably kill me. I understand why they're reluctant. I'm not telling you that that's a terrible thing. I'm just telling you that's another category number three obedience there are some things we do because we are supposed to it's a matter of duty we may not have any feelings towards it but it is obedience obedience is good i don't want to make it sound like it's not good obedience is very honoring to god it is a category but these folks i'm thinking you know what i don't know if their hearts were necessarily in it but they were obedient. Think of Noah. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that he went, man, I'd love to go build a boat where all my friends can make fun of me. I'd love to have whole society completely cast aspersions upon my name, and it's going to take about 300 years to build. I've never built a boat before. I don't like boats. I don't even want to be around boats. And now you're asking me to build a boat and look like a complete moron for hundreds of years. I don't think he was super into that call, but he did it. 
I think Elijah was kind of like that. I think Solomon was kind of like that. I mean, he got kind of born into it, right? And he was a little nervous from the get-go. God, I'm too young. I can't handle this one. You got to give me wisdom. Now, I think he picked up speed along the way, but I think it was a little bit difficult. Number four, willingness, willingness. You can also use the word passivity or being passive. This is an attitude of acceptance that it's going to happen anyway. Roll with the program. Now, it's resign, either joyful resign or not. It's not strict obedience. It is resign, which is I'm going to go along with the program. I would think of guys like Joshua. Joshua, there's no indicator in Scripture that Joshua wanted to lead the people of Israel. Moses died, handed the baton to him, and said, you're on. Now, I think he did it with a certain amount of finesse, but that doesn't mean that it was necessarily his idea. I think of Ezekiel, of Daniel. They didn't want to have the prophet gig. Daniel didn't want to be part of the exile crew that was moved over to Babylon. He didn't want to be the dream guy. He didn't want to have to give bad news. He just said, you know what? This is obviously my station in life. I'm going to roll with it. Joseph, nobody wants to be thrown into prison and accused of something you didn't do. No one wants to be sold by your family. I mean, these are not things that you want, but he ran with it, and he ran with it with honor. Deborah, the judge of Israel, tried to hand it off. They handed it back. Abraham, hey, go leave everything you know and go somewhere that you have no idea where you're going, right? He just resigned and said, all right. Last category desire desire or eagerness that's a different category altogether who's in this category i would put jesus christ in this category eager to do his father's will i would put paul the apostle in here i'd put barnabas and david and ruth those kind of folks that were all in and they wanted to do it and they did it with all their heart and there was a joy that was associated with it. Was it hard? Yes, it was. But they wanted to be there. You're going to hear in today's passage through Isaiah chapter 6, the calling of Isaiah the prophet by God. And he is eager to do it. He actually says, here I am, send me. I want to go for you. That eagerness is rare. And I would just pray that wherever we find ourselves now, that like Christine, she may have started at reluctance. She didn't start at refusal. She started at reluctance. God captured her heart. And she said, here I am, send me on the next mission. And she immediately launched out with joy. Does that mean she's not nervous about it? No, it means she's still a human being. But what happened was, is that God captivated her heart. And she said, I want to love on those people. They loved on me. I want to go do what God wants me to do. And there was a certain amount of excitement and joy and adventure to say yes to God. Here's the bottom line. The Holy Spirit has been given to us and empowered us to do good works, to do good works with joy. They were prepared in advance for us to do. We were saved and given the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's purposes, not ours, God's. We were not given the Holy Spirit to watch TV more. We were not given the Holy Spirit to play video games. We were not given the Holy Spirit 
to merely work in a cubicle and only focus on our 401k. That is not why you were given the Holy Spirit. You were given the Holy Spirit to empower you to accomplish kingdom purposes, to join God in what he's going to do. That's why we were given the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that when we truly know him, when he gives us his visions and plans, our love for him propels us to say the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's one under the seat in front of you, most likely. It's page 571. 571. We're going to do things a little bit different this morning as to how this message is going to go. I'm going to read through a portion of chapter 6. And then I'm going to read some similar passages. Now, before I read this, I'm going to pray that God would open our eyes because once we engage with the passages that we have this morning, we're going to have a short prayer time as a congregation. I'm going to invite you that as I pray to praise God and worship God, I pray that you would join with me verbally agreeing with me in prayer when it happens, right? Why do I say verbally agree? Because I've done this now in two other services and you could have heard crickets. When I say agree with me in prayer, I mean, yes, Lord, stuff like that. All right. I don't mean a let's nod silently thing. All right. Awesome. Just giving you a heads up. Here we go. Uh, let's pray for the word. Heavenly Father, would you open up our eyes and our ears that we might be able to see and understand that God, there are so many of us, Lord, that are resistant for a variety of reasons. Either we're distracted or we are selfish, whatever it is. But Lord, this is your time. This is for you. Be praised and glorified in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atone for and i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send who will go for us and i said here i am send me and he said go 150 years later ezekiel saw the throne room and this is what he saw and as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, 
and a great cloud with brightness around it and a fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness and each had four faces And each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. And under their wings on their four sides they had human hands. And their wings touched one another. And each had a human face. The face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. Their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. Their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked... At the heavenly creatures, the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each four of them, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. And the rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels." Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me and he said, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them. And the spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake saying, blessed be the glory of Yahweh from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another and the sound of the wheels beside them and the sound of a great earthquake. And the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I sat there overwhelmed for seven days. John, the beloved, the disciple, the revelator saw this. 
After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal and around the throne on each side of the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion the second living creature like an ox the third living creature like the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight and the four living creatures each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Before we get into the lesson, we will praise God in prayer. Would you agree with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, that you are great and mighty in our midst. That God, that we know that you are majestic and we have made you too small in our eyes and we repent of that. Lord, we have made ourselves too big in our own eyes and we repent of that. God, be exalted in our midst. Show us your face that we might know you more. Just a glimpse of your face is enough to humble us, God, to feel your love, to feel your conviction, to feel your power. Would you allow your presence to dwell here? Would you just show us what it is to be in your throne room, even within the midst of our heart? That God, that you would show us how powerful you are, how mighty you are, how our problems fail in comparison to you, how God, our enemies cannot stand against you, that greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. That God be glorified and magnified in our presence. That you are awesome and great and wonderful. You are so kind and patient while at the same time so devastatingly mighty. So God be glorified here in your throne room that we have come to worship you. This is all about you. It is not about us. Your word shows how great you are. We respond to that revelation with praise. And with worship, praise and glory be to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's how church goes. Amen? Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Let's zoom all the way back. In the year that King Uzziah died, that is 639 B.C., 
in the year that King Uzziah died was a tremendous shift in the world at that time. Not only was Judah coming off the southern portion of Israel, not only were they coming off a hundred or so years of prosperity, but a hundred or so years of debauchery. It was now time to clean house. The Assyrian Empire, as they were rising up in the north, got new leadership. That new leadership began to catalyze them. And they began to set their sights right on Israel and on Judah. And they began their marches down and they began to assault and batter at the call of God. God whistled that they would come for judgment and they began to ride in. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now you cannot appreciate this passage unless you enter into what it was like. For Isaiah, I want you to picture that even now, as we sit here listening to this message, that the walls melt away around us, and there is nothing but the heavenly host and the stars of the sky around. Here on the front of the stage, where the cross is, that begins to melt away, and high and lifted up on a throne is the Almighty. You didn't ask for it, you didn't expect it, but here it comes. He was captured and brought into the throne room, and everything was different. And he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. How incredible is that? What if in your prayer times you have your head bowed, but when you lift up and open your eyes, you're in another place? And there sits Yahweh. There sits the Son of God, there is the Holy Spirit in front of you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai, the Sovereign One, sitting upon a throne. I bet it didn't seem on earth like Jesus was sitting on the throne. I bet you that there was a lot of people that thought that God was nowhere to be found. As you look out on our world situation, do you ever have a temptation to think that God's not in control? Oh, but he is. If we would only pull the curtain back and see what's going on behind the scenes, the only thing being allowed in this world is that which our King Jesus allows. He's in control, make no mistake. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. Is it that he was hovering there? Is it that it was just as a picture that the throne was up high or was it like Solomon's temple where it was up a series of steps and then there sat God and the train of his robe filled the temple. The very hem of his long and luxurious robe wrapped around and filled the temple in power. The word temple in Hebrew is the same word for palace. We are now in the throne room and palace of God. What is so ironic about this is that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah was invited into the temple of God. You go, what's so ironic about that? Do you remember our story of King Uzziah two weeks ago? Do you remember anything famous about him? He was one of Judah's great kings. He started out awesome. He was actually pretty phenomenal until what? Pride. 
And after pride, he decided to go to the temple. Maybe you remember that story. He went into the temple and decided that he was bigger and badder than the priests and that no one could tell him what to do. And in his arrogance and pride, he walked into the temple uninvited and began to want to lay a sacrifice on the altar, though he was warned against it. He would not listen to reason. And as he began to offer the sacrifice, what broke out across his forehead? But leprosy. And God shut him down and he was raced out of the temple and he spent the rest of his life as a leper and he died in embarrassment. In the year that he died, Isaiah was welcomed into the temple. You come in. I kicked him out. You come in. What's the difference between the two guys? Humility. So I will be very honest with you, as I always am. Here's the truth. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That means if you are in here and listening to my voice and you and God is calling out to you and you are prideful and you think you don't need that. Here's my warning to you. There is no salvation for you. You will get no grace. The only way you're getting to heaven is the grace of God. And as long as you think that you're all that, you will get nothing. Therefore, we have too high of a view of ourselves, too low of a view of God. Therefore, we need to have it righted. Uzziah thought he was better than God. Isaiah knew he wasn't. Isaiah was welcomed and Uzziah was cast out. Above him, above his throne, above his majesty, hovering or flying, we don't know were the seraphim. Seraphim is the plural of seraph, just as cherubim is the plural of cherub. If there is one of them, they are a seraph or a cherub. They're different creatures. They're different heavenly beings. But my point is, we always think of them and try to refer to one of them as a cherubim. Please don't do that. Cherubim is a plural, all right? So if there are many of them, they are seraphim or they are cherubim. Seraph means fiery ones the only other time that is used in scripture and it is used multiple times every other time it is used of snakes very unusual if you think of the old testament story where moses was leading the israel people through the desert and they began to grumble and complain and so he made snakes come into their land and they began to bite them and they were dying from that and moses made a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole do you remember that those were seraph serpents They were fiery serpents. Does that mean they looked red? They looked like that? I have no idea. But we know that the seraphs tend to be associated with fire. So do the cherubim. But the seraphs tend to be about holy, holy, holy. They tend to be about worship, whereas cherubim also have fire. A cherubim, a cherub, excuse me, was placed in front of the Garden of Eden, remember? With a fiery sword flashing back and forth. They're a bit more of protectors, guardians, warriors. That's a little bit different than the seraph. The seraphim... Look like this. Each had six wings. How that works out, I have no idea. How you don't just get jumbled up and trip yourself up, I don't know. I don't even know how a millipede walks. So, I have no idea how in the world these move around. 
with six wings, it says, with two, he, notice it refers to a very personal, it doesn't say it, he covers his face, and with two, he covers his feet, and with two, he flies. Why? Check this out. A sinless being that is in the presence of God continually, that would shout the worship of God to all of creation, a being that is so mighty that when it speaks, the thresholds, the very foundation stones of the pillars, rock. A being like that, that is in the very presence of Yahweh, still refuses to look upon his glory in humility. With two, he covers his feet, and that is modesty. For he knows it is not about him, it is not about any flash, it is about God. And with two, he flies. And he flies with speed and authority to carry out that which God has him do. With that view in mind, is it any wonder why angels have a hard time dwelling in our midst during our church services? Is that, our, is that our attitude when we walk in? Or do we walk in and whatever, go to church today, won't go to church today, not a big deal. I guess I'll just sit here and, you know, all right, that's a cool song. That's good. Do you understand how insulting that is to the angelic world? They said, you don't understand. I don't even have that sin issue. I won't look at him. I wonder where our respect is. Where our fear of God went. Hmm. One called to another. That's called a call and response. It's an Old Testament way of worshiping. Where one side would say, Yahweh is great. And the other one would say, Yahweh is mighty. And they would fire back and forth. And they would shout and worship together. And it was all one resounding blast of praise. And one seraph called to another seraph and said, holy, holy, holy. Now we've heard that a lot, right? I mean, we read, John saw that. He saw the beings that looked kind of like this, but they had eyes all over them. Maybe Isaiah saw the same ones and didn't happen to notice the eye thing or write it down. I mean, imagine how overwhelmed he was just to be in the presence of God. It's not like he was asking questions and being a journalist. All he did was get overwhelmed and go, it was kind of like this. There was these crazy wheel things, that Ezekiel says. He's like, I don't know. I don't know how it works. But it says, holy, holy, holy. Why three? Well, it's a trinity. Not everything is a trinity. It's three. Uh, but maybe, probably not. What is more likely is this. In ancient Hebrew literature, or in many literatures, if you say, they didn't have exclamation points, so if you say something twice, the point was, this is super important. So, for example, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you. Why did he repeat himself? Because he's saying, stop what you're doing and pay attention to what I'm about to say. If it says it three times, that is the ultimate perfection of whatever that is. God is holy, holy, holy. He is pure. He is other. He is righteous. He is good. He is mighty. He is strong. He is all that we ever dreamed and infinitely beyond that. And so they cry out, you wouldn't understand it if you saw it. Holy, holy, holy is our warrior God. Remember the Lord of hosts? 
the commander of the armies of God? It's interesting because later on John quotes the same passage and talks about Isaiah got to see Jesus. Interesting. The whole earth is full of his glory. What is glory? It is any tangible evidence or proof of God's awesomeness. In other words, let's say he does a miracle in your life and you see evidence that God is powerful. That would be his glory. The miracle is his glory. The whole earth is full of it. Is that how you see it? And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Why smoke? Power. Obscuring the vision of what is so mighty that caused it. Almost like you think of a fire-breathing dragon and the smoke comes out and then you know that fire is on its way, right? And I said, woe is me. That's the appropriate response to the presence of God. We have these songs about what am I going to do when I see Jesus? Am I going to jump around? Am I going to play with him? Am I going to splash him with water? Am I going to give him a high five? Am I going to, right? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to fall on your face and become a blubbering mess is probably what you're going to do. Why? Because that's kind of how it goes. And I said, woe is me. The reason why that's so significant is that last time when we met together, I explained that Isaiah had launched out all these woes against Israel and Judah. Woe to those who trust in their gold. Woe to those who think they know it all. Woe to those who are arrogant and cocky. Woe to those, right? And then when he finally gets in the presence of God, he said, and woe to me as well. It's not about everyone else. It's me too. In the view of God's holiness, woe is me. I'm just not there. I am doomed, he said. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the warrior God. I can't handle this. I know what the thoughts are of my mind. I know what I've said. I know how I have twisted things. I know how I justified in my mind. As a matter of fact, even the things that I have not said, the thoughts and intentions of my heart dwell on my lips. I live in corruption. Everyone around me is wicked. There is no one righteous, not even one. And in light of who we are and who I am, I cannot stand in the presence of the Almighty. Woe is me. I'm ruined. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. What altar? The altar of sacrifice? The altar of incense? The altar that the priest would carry around with him during the Day of Atonement? Does it matter? Not really. He went and got from the altar tongs. He used tongs. He doesn't even touch it. He grabs it with tongs, takes it off the altar, sets the tongs down, puts it into his hand. Now, I want you to picture this. We are now Isaiah. We are in the throne room of God. We're scared out of our minds. Up above him are these massive, huge creatures. One of them is called out by God, darts his eyes right at you. Boom, flies down, sweeps down, goes to the altar, grabs something. He's already a burning one, grabs a flaming stone, looks at you, hurtles straight towards you. You know how scared you are at this moment? What's he going to do? Is he, I mean, the only thing that he should do is burn you alive. That's all that you're worth. You know your sin. You know your wickedness. And you're a heap of shame. And he comes flying in. With all ferocity, breaks right before you and reaches out and does what? 
And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Wow. On call from God. <laughs> Flies right back up. And he's like, I'm just letting you know what he said. How incredible is that? We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. And he comes down and he touches your lips and says, I've taken care of that. A seraph looking you right in the eye, knowing how holy and powerful even he is. And he said, Jesus, he's got grace for you. You're healed. You do know you don't have to lay down there, right? You know you're all right. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> Flies back up. The appropriate response to holiness is fear and repentance. And repentance, repentance comes before atonement. You do not get cleansed until the repentance. Then there is cleansing. I've been, I'm going to write an article on this coming up soon and I'll post it out to you. But I've really been chewing on this idea of fire. Um, the fiery ones, the seraph, the cherubim, the fire sword and all this. And I began to go back through. And John the Baptist, when he was baptizing, he said, I baptize you with water. Now, water, unless you're drowning, is rather tame, right? Uh, he would cleanse you and it's soothing and all that. It washes away the dirt. And we like that. But he said, there's going to come one after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie or to tie anything you want to do with them. I'm not touching his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire is supposed to make you nervous. Why? Because fire burns you. The Holy Spirit's supposed to make you nervous. Why? Why would you need to be baptized with fire? Because I believe practically it goes like this. When you get saved, your standing is changed in heaven. You go from guilty to not guilty. The Father now looks down upon you and sees the blood of Christ covering you, and you are accepted, and you are loved, and you are embraced. But practically speaking, here on earth, you're still a sin-wrecked mess. Would you agree with me? Yes, if that is so, what do we need to do? We need to be cleaned up. We need to be purified. So he fires out the Holy Spirit down into us, and the Holy Spirit burns from the inside out. It's as if we were caked in mud, and he begins to break it off. And every time he breaks off a new section and burns it out and purifies, we begin to shine Jesus right outside of our skin. And the Holy Spirit burns and burns and burns through suffering and difficulty and persecution and hardship. And he burns even with his fierce love and grace and peace. And he burns until all the sin is burned off. And we are nothing but a shining glory of God. What do you think we're doing down here? You think the Holy Spirit's just sitting around? Now you may have quenched him and you may have shut him down. At some point, he's going to burn through if you're legit. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Us, like Trinity us, or us, like angels us? Doesn't matter. God's still sending him. And I said, here I am. Send me. Hope you appreciate the fact that some of the most powerful sermons have been taught on how one goes from a ball of shame to a bold, here I am, send me. Do you know what the difference is? Grace 
Until you understand grace, you're still going to be on the ground. Until you understand forgiveness, you're never going to move. Until you understand atonement, you're always going to believe God hates you. But when you allow those things to soak into your spirit, you rise up on your feet and you're ready to go. Here I am, Lord. Send me. He offered to go. Calling is always after cleansing. And I said, go. And, and he said, go and say to this people. In the Old Testament is a great commission. Get out there. And go do something. Tell my people what I said. Guess what the New Testament does? The Great Commission. Go and tell people what I said. No matter where you go in the Bible, the Great Commission is get out and go do it. Understand, Bridgeway does not work unless we operate off the principle of what it is founded upon, which is we will equip you so that 24-7 you are out doing the work of God. If you are out evangelizing, we win. If you are out opening your mouth, sharing with other people, that's how Bridgeway works. The only time you are off duty is when you come in for training. You're coming in to get filled up, to get right back out and go do what you're doing. You do it at work, you do it at school, you do it at home. You make sure that you are sharing the kingdom of God, building the kingdom of God, doing it in a very natural sense, sometimes doing it in a very uncomfortable sense. But you have to be out there doing it. Otherwise, we become a massive gathering of brilliant Pharisees. And then Bridgeway's concept doesn't work. And we'll have to change the whole structure. Go and say to my people, what's the message he's supposed to say? Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah, make the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy. Blind their eyes. Otherwise, they'll see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and be healed. Well, that sounds weird. What's your message? Here I am, Lord, send me. All right, here's your calling. I want you to go out and go preach to a people that aren't going to pay attention. The more you preach, the less they like you, the less they like me. Well, God, what's the point of that? Uh, really? That's my calling? Everybody wants a calling of God. We always go, God, what's my calling? What's my calling? Because here's what we picture. God, my calling is to be rich and famous. That's awesome. We are so on the same page, Lord. Because you want it, I want it. What if it's not? What if your calling is to be a martyr? You still want that call? He said, I, here I am. Send me. And he said, all right, I want you to go and speak to Israel. No one's going to listen to you. And ultimately, it's going to end very, very badly. That's a rough call, right? Why would he do that? Because time for turning around is over. He's not looking for people to turn around. I've talked to you about turning around over and over and over again. Yet you're too selfish and self-focused to even listen to my message. So guess what? I'm going to send my boy Isaiah, and he's going to go out, and he's going to tell you to repent. You're going to reject him, and I'm bringing down fire on your head. I don't care about you turning around anymore. I am bringing judgment on your land. No matter what you do right now, it's not going to change that. We have had years and years and decade and century and millennia of me constantly trying to get your attention. You reject me, you reject me, you reject me. So guess what? We're not interested in you responding to the message anymore. I'm interested in bringing down the hammer. And I said, how long, O oh Lord? How long am I supposed to do that? 
That's a terrible plan. How long am I supposed to do that? He said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. The Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And even though a tenth remain in it. And indeed, when Babylon swept through in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar left only the poor, which is rather intriguing that the rich were taken away and the poor were remaining in the land, a very small percentage. And you go, oh, that's because poor people are more righteous than rich people. Except for the next line, even though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Oh, that's not good. Like a terebinth or an oak, those mighty trees of worship in the past, whose stump remains when it's cut down, so the holy seed is its stump. Isaiah, you're going to preach until I wipe everybody out. And it's going to go on long after you're dead, because that's going to happen about 100 years after Isaiah dies. You're going to die knowing that I'm coming down on my people. You'll watch the north fall, but you will not see the south fall. That's coming right after you. Preach. 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 I didn't tell you they're going to listen to you. I want you to preach. 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 Share my word. And I want to tell you this. As the last line of that whole passage says what? But there's a hope springing. Because when the tree is chopped down, what grows out of it? That little shoot? Who's that? The Messiah. Out of Israel, out of that chaos and devastation where it's cut down, here grows the new thing. Y'all know what happens when a forest is set on fire and it looks all ugly and gnarly and everything, but it clears out the choking underbrush and then the new sprouts begin to rise. In the same way, there's your whisper of hope. Even as God struck down his people, they had not been forgotten. And here comes the new shoot and a new people and a new obedience and a new heart through the Messiah. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. That God, you are good. And and the idea that you would even let Isaiah write this stuff down and even in its limited form in writing, God, you are powerful. You are mighty. Lord, may we be your obedient servants that say, yes, Lord, send me, and we would do it immediately. God, make us men and women of immediate obedience and be glorified in us. Holy Spirit, burn us with fire that we might shine you, Jesus. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's the closing challenge for this week. Let's throw that up on the screen if we can. What one thing do you think God needs to share the most with the world through you? And how are you communicating that?